right. How y'all doing? I want y'all to stand to your feet one more time. Stretch yourself. Turn to your neighbor. On your right, say something good is going to happen to you. Turn to the one on the left, say the same thing. Look at the one behind, say, be cautioned. I'm sitting in front of you. God bless you. You may be seated. If you remember last message that I preached, all right, before Pastor Mark preached. By the way, Pastor Mark was amazing, wasn't he? Did I, did I say the right thing about him? That when the anointing hits him, man, he's in a class of his own. Amen? Even his Frankenstein is anointed. For those who are wondering, he meant to say frankincense. It came up Frankenstein. But, you know, I believe that God raises people like Pastor Mark to encourage many of us whose English may not be there. You know, we might say Frankenstein, but it is a demonstration of his anointing. It is the anointing of God that changes lives, transforms people inside out. Amen? You know, you can be skillful, but not anointed. Dry as a bone. But Pastor Mark, he's oily. <laughs> the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. Just like the fresh oil that came on young David at 17 years old. It was the anointing. You must understand that David would not have knocked down Goliath had it not been of the, for the anointing of God that's on his life. And when he lamented the death of Saul and Jonathan, his dear friend, he says that they died as if they were not anointed with oil. You see, David's priority, when David sinned in the case of Bathsheba, he committed adultery, his prayer was, oh God, take not your presence, take not your Holy Spirit, rather, take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, he treasured the anointing of God. And in today's society, in today's world, all right, anointing is not even heard of. We value talents, we value skill, but God values anointing. You know, and it doesn't really matter that your English is better than Pastor Mark. He's anointed. All right? And uh, when, when he shares, people respond. All right? Now, with all your wonderful English, there are people with per- impeccable English. Elizabethan English, but when they speak, no one responds. It doesn't strike a note with them. So people crave, desire, covered earnestly for the best gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's the anointing of God. Amen? That brings the gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. So right now, can I pray a prayer for you that you be anointed with fresh oil? Put your hand on your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I want the fresh oil fresh anointing. Last year's anointing will not do. In Jesus' name. Father in heaven, I ask right now, Lord, that you baptize your people, Lord. Everyone under the sound of my voice with fresh baptism, Lord. Fresh immersion of the Holy Spirit. With fresh anointing, Lord, in everything they say, think, and do. In the name of Jesus and all the people said, Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Are you ready for God's word? 
Now, I want to continue from where I left off uh, the last time. We, we left off with Jesus looking at, at his disciples when they were offended with the Samaritans. Do you still remember? Namely, which disciples? Uh, John was one of them. And John and James, they were zealous for the glory of Jesus, no doubt. They loved Jesus, no doubt. All right? But when they were offended at the way Jesus was treated by the Samaritans, they turned to the Lord and says, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven? When you think about it, they literally said, shall we call fire the way Elijah did? So they had an Old Testament precedent. But Jesus turned around and the Bible says he rebuked them. And he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And they could have answered Elijah's spirit. All right? But Jesus says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man is not come to destroy, but to save man's lives. How many can say amen? So the, the problem is that today we have Christians who are still living in the Old Testament. And they want to, to uh, bring in their Old Testament convictions into people who are in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, please understand that uncleanness and sin is contagious, okay, under law. Under law, sin and uncleanness is infectious, is transmittable. But under grace, righteousness and holiness is transmittable. Remember when Jesus came down after he preached the Sermon on the Mount? The Bible tells us as he came down, there was a leper. Everyone say leper. A leper in those days is someone who would transmit uncleanness. You cannot go to the temple anymore. You cannot worship God anymore. You cannot even go back to your family. There are certain cleansings and certain days you must be quarantined. So the thing is that no one wants to touch a leper. They would stone a leper if they see a leper from afar off. So a leper came to Jesus as he went down the mountain. Now the Bible says there was a multitude. So how the leper made his way there all right? Probably by stealth, no one knows. Okay, but Jesus knew where he was because if you go to the Mount of Beatitudes today, you'll find that it is like any other mountain. You can come down from the mountain from any side. But Jesus came down right where the leper was, and I believe that his steps were directed by the compassion in his heart. And as he came to the leper, the leper says, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now listen, he did not doubt Jesus can make him clean. He did not doubt Jesus has the power to heal. Many Christians today, they have no doubt God can. You ask them, can God heal people? They say, of course God can. Well, can I pray for you and God will heal you? I'm not too sure whether he, he wants to heal me. So the willingness of God is being questioned. Many people don't doubt the ability of God, but the willingness of God. So let this beautiful story settle that question about his willingness, his one-two, all right? Once and for all, amen? Jesus touched the leper, and Jesus says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy departed. Now notice the first thing Jesus did was Jesus touched him. Jesus touched him. The leper has not been touched. We do not know for how long. 
Okay? And remember this, when you touch a leper, even though you are clean, the leper will make you unclean because of the law. That's the law. The law magnifies sin. The law, all right, makes sin the ascendance, the ascendancy, all right? But under grace, Jesus, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ when Jesus, the Holy One, when Jesus touched the leper, he did not get what the leper had. The leper got what Jesus had. All right, the message for us today, and many Christians don't even know this. They still have this idea that Paul talks about in Colossians, touch not, taste not, handle not, which means, in other words, don't associate yourself with immoral people, people of the world, keep yourself secluded, all right? They call them hermits, and there are Christian groups and Christian denominations that do that. In other words, as long as I don't get involved with the world, as long as I don't associate with them, I'll be holy and I'll score points with God and God will bless me. But you look at all, all those people, uh, the blessing of God is far from them. They are living lives and they look like they are baptized in prune juice, some of them, because God never meant for the Christian life to be a hermit life. God meant for the Christian life to be among the people. Hey, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You are the light of the world. What's the point of light being among light? Light is good among darkness, people. Amen? It's time for you to know that the salt is not to remain in the salt shaker. Hey, salt of the earth, get out of the salt shaker. What's the point, all right, of all the salt gathering together, okay, and just staying there? No food is seasoned. It is only when the salt gets out of the salt shaker that you can season the food. In those days, uh, salt is like refrigerator for them. It keeps their, their food for a longer time. Amen. It also seasons the food. It makes it palatable, delicious. Amen. But the thing is, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, you are the salt, people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the salt and you are the light. The beauty of the light is not seen among other lights. That's why when you look up at night in Singapore, all right, you look at the night sky in Singapore, you don't see too many stars. Why? Because we are surrounded with buildings that are lit up. The stars are there, but you can't see it. But if you go somewhere in Ireland, you go to Israel, you go to the Dead Sea area, in the, in, in the, in the, in the area of the Dead Sea, where Abraham was close to, and he looked up in the night sky, and God says, Abraham looked up. I'm telling you, the stars that you see is unlike anywhere else. And God says, so shall your descendants be. Okay, people? Light is seen in its beauty, in its excellency among darkness. Then the light shines. Your beauty will never be seen just among ourselves. But your beauty is seen among darkness. But if we have this attitude, touch not, taste not, handle not. Well, Pastor Prince, what about be not unequally yoked? I'm so glad you asked that question. Row four from the back, seat number five. You're sitting halfway, five and a half. Okay, since you asked that question, I'll be touching on that. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And um, you'll find that many a times people love to quote verses they hear other people quote, and they hardly... You hardly hear other passages that Paul mentioned about. Okay, remember this. There's no contradiction in the Bible. 
All right? There may be seeming contradictions, but once you know the background, you look at the whole thing in its context, even in the original Greek, there's no contradiction. No one has found a contradiction in the Bible. All right? The Bible is God's breath. It, it's, it, literally, the Bible says God, where it says every scripture is inspired, it is God breathed. Every scripture is God breathed. God made man, man was like a mannequin made from the dust of the earth. He was without life. Maybe he stood down there, Adam. Then God breathed into man and man became a living soul. So likewise, the more you read the Bible, the more alive you become, the healthier you become, the stronger you become because you're living from the life source that gave man life. Are you listening, people? God's scriptures are God-breathed and he doesn't waste his breath. Every scripture, all right, is there for a purpose. It never contradicts, okay? So, be not unequally yoked. I, I don't have to talk much about that, actually, because everybody knows that verse. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, okay? Because they don't understand clearly, all right, about being under law and under grace, they misquote, be not unequally yoked as not associating with sinners, as a result, many Christians are not seeing the prosperity God wants them to see. How in the world can you take the wealth of the sinner? And God wants you to have the wealth of the sinner. Amen. The Bible says clearly in Proverbs, God says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. How in the world? You expect it to drop on you like that? No, you got to do business with the world and take their money and build God's kingdom. For <laughs> Amen. Are you listening? Israel, before Israel left from Egyptian bondage, the Bible says the night where God instituted the Passover, on the same night, they received from the Egyptians silver and gold. Now, don't think for one moment God does not take the money of the world to build His house. He does. The Egyptians gave the slaves, and actually it's back pay, with interest for all the years of slavery. All right? So they gave them gold and silver, which later on became the items they used to build the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, the, the candlestick, all right, the bronze altar. All that came, where do you think they got the gold and silver from? From the desert? There's no way. They got it from the Egyptians, people of the world. Are you listening? So the devil has used this verse, being unequally yoked to the point that Christians are so afraid and they, they misconstrue that verse, they misinterpret the verse, and, and they are so afraid to do business with the people of the world. It's always being not unequally yoked, being not unequally yoked. So the wealth of the world goes to the sinners, all right? People that are not in a position, don't have the, the, the heart of love and compassion the way a believer does, all right? But they're, they're holding the wealth. Why? Because Christians are so afraid. You know, when, when television first came in, into existence, all right, uh, uh, in America, I remember the, the churches there stood up and they call it the one eye monster, they call it the devil, they call it the devil, they call it all kinds of things. When movies came out, they said it's the devil, it's the devil, everything's the devil, amen? And a lot of these inventions actually came from Christians, all right, at least the root cause, I mean the root uh, 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 um, uh, uh, discovery, even Orville and Wilbur Wright, okay? Although they did not invent the jet plane, they were the first one to create that plane that flew. All right? And they are both sons of a preacher. Then we have either the, the 
Abraham's seed that are the stars of the heaven, the believers in Christ, or his natural seed, Jewish people, that have invented so many things, plus, of course, Facebook, all right, that has blessed mankind all over the world. And yet, there are many traditional Old Testament-minded Christians, okay, who say, this of the devil, that's of the devil, this of the devil, that's of the devil, okay? And uh, it, it, they make their, their children grow up in, in a boring life. I know of one, one, one pastor, all right, um, in Singapore, I know, they will not allow his daughter, his young daughter, to wear any gold bracelet, any gold of any form on, their, on her body. Now, this was a number of years ago, and I happen to know that, that uh, pastor personally. He will not allow that. And why? Because of a misinterpretation in 1 Peter 3 that says that don't let your adorning. Adorning means your main attraction. Now, that's been remedied in, in, in some of the new translations. They say that don't let your attraction be merely. All right? But in the, in the King James, don't let your attraction be adorning of gold. All right? But you know what it goes on to say? Putting on clothes. So if you, if you say you cannot put on gold, you must be consistent and say, it goes on to say, don't put on clothes. I recommend that you don't do that. All right, so it must mean something else. It means what? Don't let your ladies, when people look at you and they say, you got beautiful clothes, all right? Kind of sad, okay? You, you might be happy about it, but actually when they look at you, you make the clothes, not the clothes make you. So, you know, this whole thing about don't, 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 don't has caused the wealth of the, the world to flow towards the sinners, and Christians are just out there. And, and the worst of all is the attitude Christians have towards sinners. You know, we say that we love the sinner and hate the sin, but the sinners out there know us more for hating the sin than loving them. Now, Jesus was called the friend of sinners. Look up here in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, this is Jesus talking. It's actually in inverted commas. Jesus said, the son of man, Jesus is talking, all right, about the Pharisees. He says of, of himself, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, you here refers to the Pharisees. They were there. He was speaking to them. You say, look, a glutton and a wine biber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the Pharisees managed to be an insult. Now, Jesus obviously moved among sinners. He was no hermit. I said he moved among sinners. And they called him a friend of sinners. What an appellation. Of, for our Lord, because what they meant to be an insult today, all right, is the theme of songs and sermons about our Lord Jesus Christ, that He's a friend of sinners. What a wonderful accusation. Amen. When people look at you, are you like your master? Are you a friend of sinners? Many of us, you know, our, our friends, and, and I, I don't believe in close intimacy with an unbeliever. It's, it's going to be hard. That's where I'm equally yoke. I'll come to that, all right? But I believe that we're going to have friends who are sinners. Amen. How else will they get saved? Now, we know unequally yoked so well. That is in 2 Corinthians 6. We forget 1 Corinthians 5. You know what's 1 Corinthians 5? Paul, the same one who wrote, Be not unequally yoked, said this. 1 Corinthians 5, look up here. When I wrote to you before, Paul says, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers 
who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. <laughs> so I'm not writing to you. Obviously, Paul sent a letter earlier and Paul says, I'm writing to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. Obviously, the Corinthians got it wrong. They said that, oh, all right, let's not mix up with the people of the world because in Corinthians, there were a lot of sexually immoral people. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying, I'm not referring to non-Christians, unbelievers. In other words, it's okay to associate with them. Even though they are greedy, even though they are in sexual immorality, they cheat people, whatever, it's okay to associate with them. Paul is saying that. If you don't associate with them, you must get out of the world. You can't even get out of your house. Because you meet people like this all the time. If you say, I only do business with people of the world who are moral, you will never do business. Are you listening? So what is Paul talking about? So listen carefully. He says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers. Next verse. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Notice the phrase, who claims. Whether he's a believer or not, we don't know. But if he's in the church... All right? He calls himself a Christian. When he fills a form, he says he's a Christian. <laughs> All right? In the King James, it says, who is named a brother, so-called brother. In other words, he's a so-called brother. Whether he is born again, we do not know. But he's in church. Now, Paul says, judge that person. Are you listening? Paul says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. The idea of money. Extortioner in the old King James. Don't even eat with such people. Can you understand now? In other words, it's okay to eat with sinners. Or else, how in the world would they ever hear the gospel? But if you know a brother is cheating on his wife, don't even eat with him. If you know someone is embezzling money from people, you know, uh, uh, cheating people, or uh, conning people, con artists, don't even eat with them. Don't compliment them with your presence. Are you listening, people? Do you hear these verses quoted? No, what you hear is, be not unequally yoked. Be not unequally yoked. Which, which Paul cannot contradict himself. There's no contradiction. But before I go to that verse, let me just finish off these verses. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Now, many Christians feel it's theirs. All right? They appoint themselves to judge outsiders. And Paul himself, the apostle of apostles. There's no one greater than Paul in terms of a, a Christian. All right? Who better than Paul? who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Amen. Amen. Now, this is a, a, a leadership a, a passage here, especially for leaders in the church. But the problem is that the Corinthians got the whole thing wrong. They are missing the point. Those who are outside, let's finish off. Verse, God will judge those who are on the outside. Let God judge them. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. In other words, the church standard is different. Now, of course, there's got to be wisdom in terms of baby Christians. When they come, they are living together. They are living in sin. They are not married yet, whatever. We can allow them some time because they are baby Christians. How many understand that? You know, you don't demand from a baby certain things you demand from an adult. 
Okay, so all this, you've got to be led by the Spirit as well. But have we disciplined people in our church? Oh, yeah. You, you ask my, my leaders. Of course. And for sure, people who are uh, uh, in, in this category that you saw just now, none of them can become leaders. For sure. If you're going to be faithful to your wife, you can be faithful to your ministry. So today, there's a big question. Go back to the earlier verses. All right? There are all this category here, worship idols, sexual sin, abusive. Abusive are those who, whenever they talk, it's very contemptuous. The Bible calls it railer. They abuse people with their speech. Don't even eat with such people, the Bible says. All right? It's a lifestyle. You understand? No? It's a lifestyle. Okay? It, it cannot just because, oh, I, I saw this guy watching pornography once. He has repented 10 years ago. He's an old man now. And you still hold grudges. You don't eat with him. Okay, so it's a lifestyle, reviler, all right, railer, extortioner, the ER makes it a lifestyle, okay, church, and um, it is amazing that people don't even understand this passage, but they understand 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, be not unequally yoked. So what did Paul mean when Paul says, be not unequally yoked? So are you clear on this? All right, so in other words, you can associate with people, but listen, all right, when you associate with them... Be not unequally yoked. Now we come to that. Be not unequally yoked. What does that mean? Now, this is found in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, but before you look at chapter 6, you must know chapter 5. Because 5 comes before 6. In chapter 5, it says clearly up here, look up here real quick, therefore if anyone is in Christ, this is our church. Verse, he is a new creation, and all new creation said... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Next verse. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All of you have a ministry. You ask, Pastor Prince, what is my ministry? You have the ministry of reconciliation. Don't worry about whether you are a minister of prophet, a ministry of a pastor. Don't worry about all that. For sure, you have the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation means restoration to favor with God. Your ministry to people out in the world is the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And uh, that is, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not, what is God doing to the world? What did God do to the world when Christ died? Reconciling the world unto himself. Okay. Not, and this is present tense, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That is in the present tense in the Greek. Not imputing is in present tense. Now, even, God is not counting their trespasses. Are there many trespasses in the world? Oh, yeah, and how much? All right, but God is not counting any trespass against the world. There's only one sin that God is judging the world for, all right, and it's the sin of rejecting the, Jesus Christ, the provision that God has made. And the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, singular, unbelief in me, Jesus said. There are so many sins in the world. If you look out for, if you are guardian over this sin, if you are watching over this sin, there are so many other sins to talk about, church. Are you listening? I, I saw on television once, recently, a guy was coming against grace on television. And uh, he was preaching against grace, and he was preaching against eternal security, eternal salvation, all right? And he was a big guy, very big guy, all right? And he says that if you live in sin... Don't think you will make heaven. Now, normally when I look at people, I'm not conscious they are skinny or challenged. 
I really am not. When I look at people, I look at people, they are people. I don't see them, they're skinny or they are, you know, uh, physically challenged. Is that politically correct enough? All right? But when I look at this guy, and this guy says, if you live in sin, don't think you'll make heaven. Number one, which sin will keep you out of heaven? That's, you need to answer that question. So all of a sudden, when I look at him, and I saw that he was big, I was thinking to myself, is gluttony a sin? Now, I, I'm not a self-righteous person, but the moment someone is self-righteous, it brings out the self-righteousness in me. I start thinking to myself, brother, is gluttony a sin? Now, God doesn't condemn people who are physically challenged. God doesn't. But if we do condemn other sin, make sure when you point one finger, there are three fingers pointing back. Unless you are clear, church, listen carefully, all right? When we start believing the wrong thing, we are preaching old covenant. All our sins are manifested. Are you listening, people? All right? Now look up here. You are very quiet today. And God, you know, God has me on this message, on this track, preaching this message, because even before, two weeks ago, you know, I preached about how Jesus was in a synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand, all right? Luke tells us, Luke is a doctor, so Luke tells us it was a right hand. Doctors tend to make that kind of observation. So right hand means what? His livelihood, all right, has now been forfeited. It means of livelihood, it, working with your hands. In those days, that culture, you work with your hands. So not only Jesus healed the man's hand, Jesus gave him back his livelihood, gave him back his dignity for a man. You know, it's a sense of dignity to be able to work. But the Pharisee who was there never doubted Jesus can heal. But he was observing Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Remember that? And Jesus turned around, and the Bible says two things happened to Jesus when he looked at the Pharisee and his attitude. And all those in the synagogue, Jesus was grieved and he was angry at their hardness of heart. Now, Jesus wasn't angry with sin. He was angry with self-righteousness. He was angry with this attitude of holier than thou. You see, people want to keep a religious... By the way, that's the Ten Commandment. The, keep the Sabbath holy. He was, the Pharisee was saying whether Jesus would break the Sabbath. There are people who don't care about people. They just want to see whether you keep the law. Now, Jesus never broke the law. In fact, he kept the true spirit of the law in healing the man because that day was his greatest Sabbath. He got his true rest. But can a Pharisee understand the spirit of the law, which is love, the fulfillment of all the law? They cannot understand that. All they know is, I must keep my rules and regulation. There are people who treat physical places, all right, as holy. They don't treat their brother as holy. They don't mind slandering their brother or sister, but they treat a physical place. So they say, this is a sanctuary of the Lord. You must have that kind of voice. This is a sanctuary of the Lord. My friend, you are the sanctuary. When you step into a place, it becomes a sanctuary because today, God doesn't live with, with temples made with human hands. God lives in you and I. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the temples of God today. And there are all kinds of temples. When I look around, I see all kinds of temples. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Some have wonderful roofs. Some have, you know, uh, convertible. Amen. Beautiful. I mean, I love it. 
And God loves it. Amen. Some have, have, have decoration on the temple. Some have no decoration. Doesn't matter. You are beautiful. You are the temple of God. And the temple of God in the Old Testament had silver, had gold, had precious uh, 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 items on it. Amen. Even precious stones on the high priest garments, all in the tabernacle, in the temple. Amen. So it's okay for you to have these things. Nothing wrong with that. But don't let your attraction depend on those things. You are the temple of God today. Amen. But because of this mentality, you got to have a physical place. And then when you go to the place, you start feeling, you know what you're feeling or not? You're not feeling spiritual. You're feeling religious. What happens when you leave that building? Live like the devil. No, you are the temple of God. If I tell you right now, you're the temple of God, wherever you go, you are conscious. You are a blessing going somewhere to happen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a blessing happening to you right now because you are seated by me. Amen? Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm a blessing to you. Amen? You are a blessing, church. Because you are the temple of God. Wherever God is, there is health, there is life, there is prosperity, there's blessings, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And you are bringing that freedom everywhere you go. When I step into a building, it is the church. Especially two of you. You know, God considers a church like this. Jesus himself says, if two are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst How gracious is our God to bring it down to the smallest number of plurality, two. The smallest plurality is two. Two persons, you have a church. Are you listening? When you come to the star people, all right, or you come to MBS or or, or GV cinemas and all that, when you step in, it's no more cinema. It's no more a a, a theater. It's now the church. Why? Because you are here. And there's more than two of us. The Lord is here. When you step out, it's just a building. Do you understand? We thank God for the building and we got a beautiful building. But the building is not the church. That's why you don't have to hang crosses anywhere. You put crosses on your body, amen? Doesn't make you a Christian also. Any more than putting a cowbell on you make you a cow. Holy. Amen? And because of this mentality, they got to have a building. The building is a sanctuary. You must not defile the building. If you talk about, if you are afraid of being defiled, listen, you should not go to the hawker center. You should not eat anything from the food courts. And the Corinthians had a problem. You should not be going out there and eating because every time, you do not know what the person is believing. And and you do not know their background. But the Bible says, ask no questions, just eat. (laughs) Give thanks to God and eat. But if, don't ask questions, Paul, uh, Paul says. Eat. Just eat it. Eat it. <laughs> uh, Pastor Prince, obviously you don't fast. Well, are you going to accuse me of being a glutton and a wine biber? <laughs> Jesus obviously ate. And he drank. He was never drunk. He turned the water into wine, not grape juice. Now, before some of you start rejoicing, listen carefully. All right, drunkenness is a sin. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine. But if you're, you believe in drink, I, I, I for one have no taste for wine. I have taste for tea, Tariq. All right? But, but the thing is that I'm not going to condemn people, all right, who drink wine. Okay? Now, please don't write to me. Don't waste your time. 
The Bible is against drunkenness. Jesus didn't turn water into grape juice because the, the, the master of ceremony drank the wine and said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. He, if it was grape juice, the dude would have known. <laughs> the dude would have known. All right? And it's the best wine, he said. So, you know, some people drink wine for health reasons. Okay? It's good for the heart. Doctors will tell you that today. All right? But the thing is that if you've got no taste for it, don't get into it. You know, you've got a problem with drinking, don't even touch it. Okay? Amen? But if you, if you are, you, you know, like in Israel, there are a few people who believe in bringing their own wine bottles. We will send our pastors there. It happened before. We say that, please don't drink. There are people down here who don't believe in drinking. There are people in the group that don't believe in drinking wine. So don't, you want to drink, drink in your hotel room. All right? Testimony, love. Love is the governing principle. Are you listening? You don't just say, I just drink whatever I want to go and, you know, there's a testimony. Yes. But you're going to just do business with people who are, who are unbelievers with good testimony. Someone says, well, you know what? If these sinners, they are willing to change, your kind of attitude, why would they want to change? What ha- do you have that makes them want to change? What have you told them that makes a sinner want to change? Have you told them the love of God? Have you demonstrated it? Why, why do you say we, we, the church welcomes people who want to change? That wasn't Jesus' attitude. Jesus loved them, and they wanted to change. Amen. Jesus' love gave them the power, His grace empowered them to change. Amen. Are you with me, people? We got to watch this attitude. Now, as a result of believing this, instead of believing we are the temples of God, whatever we touch prospers, because we are a walking, living, breathing temple of God going somewhere to heaven. When I touch the sick, the temple of God and the Shekinah glory flows into my hands. It's the temple of God touching the sick. And I, I, the temple of God going somewhere to happen. When I step into a food court, it's the temple of God. That's the reason why you ladies notice sometimes when you step into a boutique, no one is there. After for a while, people come in. Because the temple of God brought the blessing. Okay? You are the temple of God. Are you listening? I've seen it many times. Christians walk into a restaurant, you know, very few people. All of a sudden, people start coming in. Amen. You are a blessing everywhere you go. You are the temple of God. When you have that attitude, oh, I just left the church. I just left the church. I just left the building. Then you start thinking, now I'm outside the building. I can do whatever I want that I cannot do in the building. You see the kind of teaching? Wrong believing? Are you listening? As a result, Christians are not expanding. Their churches are not growing. They are waiting to build a building and put a cross there. If the world sends... Jesus says, be careful of wolves in sheep clothing. Then, you know what? Let's use the wisdom of Jesus and let's send sheep in wolf clothing. (laughs) Jesus himself said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves or loving, harmless as doves. But many Christians are harmless as doves, loving as doves and wise as doves. Cool. Cool. No, Jesus himself said, be wise like snakes. As a result, Christians are not expanding. And the devil loves it, the religiosity. He loves playing up the religiosity. People with Old Testament mentality saying that unless it's a building with a cross, I will not go to that. As a result, the kingdom of God is not expanding. And the devil is behind it, playing on people's religiosity. I have a friend, I have some friends all over the world, and uh, especially Brian Houston of Hillsong, He's a great friend, a wonderful man of God, a man of integrity. 
And he has leaders all over the world. And you know, when they go to a place, like for example, when they started Hillsong New York, all right, he's got this guy, real good looking guy, Carl Lenz, appointed him as the pastor of Hillsong New York. He has tattoos all over, like a bodybuilder, good looking guy, hairstyle like the walls of Jericho. You know, it's just flip one corner, an amazing preacher. Amen. You look at him, he's like a guy in the street. And you know where they started their church, Hillsong, New York? In a nightclub. On Sunday, they convert the place. It's still being used as a nightclub, but on Sunday, all right, they move away all the bar counter and all that, and they have church. Like right in, near the heart of the city. They have church. Amen. In London... In Hillsong, London, where I have preached there, my friend Gary Clark, the pastor there, Hillsong, London, I preached there many times. You know where I preach? I preach in a theatre. It's called Dominion Theatre in London. And you know what, what, what musical they are still having? It's still running now? We Will Rock You, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> so every Sunday, people are going streaming, all right, and there's a big, big statue of Freddie Mercury. And people are coming into the church. Are they bothered by Freddy? No, they are not. Why? On Sunday, it becomes a church. Whatever happened, people, you know, the, the, the crowd that came before and all that, we're not afraid they'll defile us. Amen. They, they, will be, they will be infected with the righteousness of God. All of a sudden, they come to a place after the church is there, the presence of God, the, the leftover, right? the afterglow is still there. Amen. And people get healed. Let's take a look at the Hillsong London. This is where they meet. And I've preached there a number of times. Amen. And it's a church on Sunday. All day is a church. Now, in Cape Town, South Africa, there is another Hillsong that started just a few years ago, and it's exploded as well. And um, uh, my friend there, his name is Phil Dooley, the pastor there. And, and Phil, when... when he prayed and asked God where he's going to start his church. The Lord led him to the largest, uh, used to be the building, used to be the largest nightclub in South Africa. And he possessed that place, amen? Took it for Jesus. And now, his people are meeting for four services every Sunday, and then they are looking, they are now actively starting three campuses as well. That's how you expand the kingdom of God. Take a look at this. Uh, used to be a nightclub. Nice hill song. Cape Town. It's a beautiful place. Amen. Look up here, church. Once you have this attitude, all right, you know, you, you touch not, taste not, handle not, then you miss the point. Okay, let's come back to um, 2 Corinthians 5, all right? It says... God is not counting the world's sin against them. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, verse uh, 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, even though he's writing to non-Christians, there are times he will speak to the Christians, sorry, he's writing to Christians, I should say, all right? There are times he will pause and he will address the non-Christians. Just like a pastor is preaching, once in a while, you address the non-Christians in the congregation. So now Paul, 
Paul is saying, by the Spirit, he's saying, I implore those of you who are not saved, be reconciled to God. God is not counting your sins against you. Come home to his, the Father's love. Come home to His abundance. Come home to His health and wholeness. Come home to goodness. Amen. Be reconciled to God. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. Now, then comes the next chapter, the chapter of unequally yoke. Okay, it begins with, we then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Notice the context here. He's talking to the non-Christians in the church. For the most part, all right, he's talking to, in Corinthians, he's writing to Christians. Don't misunderstand. But just like in the book of Romans, written to the saints, but in Romans 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is your Lord, what's going to happen? You shall be saved. Now, he's talking to non-Christians who are hearing that letter being read to the Christians. How many understand that? So this verse, don't receive God's grace in vain, has been used by people to just preach whatever they want to preach against grace. But it's not talking about that. The whole context is saying, receive the fact you have been made righteous. Receive the fact that God loves you. Receive the restoration to favor. Don't hear all this in vain. Don't receive all this in vain. Are you listening, people? Then you drop down the same chapter, chapter 6 now, verse 1. We drop down to be unequally yoked. Okay, look at the context. You don't understand chapter 5, don't understand chapter 6. All right? So look at verse 14 now. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? All this refers to something that you must know. It's all the same thing. Unequally, you look up here. Unequal yoke. This portion is taken from Deuteronomy 22, where it says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey. An ox and a donkey don't go together. Okay? Now, what is a yoke? Every time a yoke is used in the Bible, it's either referring to the law or grace. In other words, a form of worship. Okay? It's referring to their belief system. Okay? It's worship. I'm going to prove that to you. Let's keep on reading. And what agreement has the temple of God? Who is the temple of God? You and I. With idols. With idols. For you are the temple of God, as God has said, all right? I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Okay? I'm going to prove to you what's happening here is that the Corinthians, they were going to the temple prostitutes. They were sleeping with temple prostitutes. That is not doing business. How many understand? That is adopting the lifestyle of the pagans. How many understand that? All right? Now, it's a form of worship. The temple prostitutes are there as a form of worship. It's a pagan worship. You need to understand the context of Corinthians. He's telling the believers, all right, do not worship what they worship. And that's why the next verse, keep on reading. All right, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. Do you know this is a quotation? You can see the inverted commas, right? It's a quotation. If you look at your Bible, you can see the quotation is taken from Isaiah 52 verse 11. Look at Isaiah 52, you understand the context. Isaiah 52 says, depart, depart, go out from here, from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Now, 
What happened was this. this by the way, this is the last portion of Isaiah's exhortation to the people of Israel when they were in Babylon. All right? He's telling them, depart from Babylon. Depart from Babylon. Today, there's a Babylonian system. Depart from the system. For example, in the area of money, there's a Babylonian system. All right? In other words, they, they, they use their, their trading or whatever. But God, God says, sowing and reaping and tithing is my kingdom's principle. The rest is Babylonian. A lot of people are trying to be rich through the Babylonian system, and it, they are stressed out. They are growing old. They are having sickness and all kinds of problems because they are under a Babylonian system. All right? Babylonian also means confusion. It means uh, 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 mixing law and grace. All right? The church back then was called Ecclesia, which means the called out ones. But what was the church called out during the time of the book of Acts? Called out of Judaism, out of the law, because law and grace cannot mix. That's why the church is called the call out once. Are you listening, people? But this, this verse is talking about when you come out, don't bring your Babylonian idols. That's the unclean thing. Don't bring along your Babylonian idols. In other words, if you believe in God, so today, even though that verse is referring to Israel in Babylon, and Isaiah is telling them, we come out from Babylon and don't bring their idols. Don't touch their unclean thing. Now, put it in the context of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, all right, do not trust their idols. Do not get in cahoots to worship the same idol that they worship. Do not, do not come together, all right? Like, for example, if, let, let me just say this, okay? Marriage is applicable here. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? It's a long-term thing, and it's a belief system. How can you sleep with someone, all right, day in and day out, okay? Share life literally become one, and the person's worship or belief system, everyone worships. By the way, when I say worship, how many understand? Everybody worships. They worship themselves, they worship money, they worship fame, they worship all kinds of things. Everybody worships. So how can you, who believe in, in the true God, worshiping Jesus, be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? I agree it applies in marriage. I agree 100% it applies to marriage, but it does not apply, listen carefully, Completely to business. Where, where a, a business agreement has have you, the Christian, compromising, all right, you are unequally yoked. How many understand that? All right? In other words, if you are involved in a business and it requires you to, to do something immoral, to do something uh, uh, wrong, or, or, or else you cannot be in that business or to, to you know, get money on the table or whatever it is or, or, or sell a product that is harmful for people or whatever. You are in, 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 in business agreement, contract kind of thing, okay? And you are doing it. In other words, if you have a business with someone who is immoral, that is 1 Corinthians 5. There's nothing wrong with that. He's immoral. I am not. But I do business with him. Or else, every Christian lawyer cannot... <clears throat> or else, every Christian lawyer cannot represent anyone who is immoral. There goes their job. Or else, every doctor cannot attend to anyone who is immoral. What it's saying is this. Don't leave their immorality. You can do business with them, but don't leave their immorality. Don't worship what they worship. Amen. Are you listening, people? Because if having a contract, having an agreement with a non-Christian is wrong, 
all right? Then Abraham sinned. Because Abraham cut a covenant with Abimelech. You know who is Abimelech or not? He's the king of the Philistines. You know who are the Philistines? They're the number one enemy of, of Israel. But notice the context in which Abraham cut a covenant with Abimelech. Look up here, Genesis 21. All right? It came to pass at that time that Abimelech... Abimelech, by the way, is not a name. Abimelech is a title. Let's just like, for example, Tsar of Russia, all right? the king of Russia. In, in some places, Sultan is the designated title. Okay, uh, uh, in Egypt, Pharaoh is the title. It's not a name. There's Pharaoh 1, Pharaoh 2, Pharaoh 3, right? All right? So likewise, Abimelech is not a name. It's a title of the king of Philistines. Number one enemy of Israel. Do they worship God? No. All right? But look at the context. Abimelech came and spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. And some people say, there you see, Abimelech believe in God. They all believe in God. The God here is not Yahweh. It is the God, G-O-D, is Elohim. It's the same reference like when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh says, you have the Holy, you have the spirit of Elohim. How many understand the world can say God? But doesn't mean they worship God. The same thing for Abimelech. Abimelech saw the blessings of Abraham. The world calls it good luck. All right, he says somehow Elohim has, has blessed you. And he wants to come into contract, come in, into a covenant with Abraham. Now therefore swear to me, Abimelech says to Abraham, by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I've done to you, you'll do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Abraham says, I'll swear. Drop down. All right? Therefore, Abraham called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. There they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech went back to his land and Abraham stayed in the land. All right? Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Notice it's called Beersheba. Until today, it's still called Beersheba. By the way, that's the place where we saw the helicopter rescue when we were there the last time with my leaders. All right? We, we, we were first, first-hand witnesses of a rescue. God is still keeping covenant. So, what I'm saying is that Abraham cut a covenant with Abimelech. But notice who has the upper hand. You're going to cut a covenant. Make sure you don't compromise. Make sure your, that friend knows your boundaries. How many understand that? All right, but you said, be not unequally yoked and all that. You cannot even s- sign a contract for a building with someone as a guarantor or whatever. It's, it's crazy. As a result, Christians are deprived. How in the world do you get the wealth of a sinner? Are you listening, people? That's why marriage is very applicable. It's something you do day in and day out. You are yoked together. All right? The whole context here refers to don't do what they do. You can do business with them, but don't do what they do. Or else, before you invite the air-conditioned repairman into your house, at the door, you must ask, are you adulterer? <laughs> are you this? Are you that? Are you that? Okay? God bless you. Find a good one. At the end of the day, if you have a tumor and you want it removed, I'd rather have, listen carefully, I'd rather you have a non-Christian surgeon who is very experienced in this field than a Christian who just graduated. All right? But the guy is a smoker, Pastor Prince. Can he remove it? How many understand? You see, you lie down there, it doesn't mean you got to smoke. But if you have a relationship where the guy wants you to smoke, then it becomes unequally yoked. You understand? 
Are you with me or not, church? Hmm. All right, then let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 6, the unequally yoke. Uh, next verse. I'll be a, uh, this is a promise. Notice the quotation. It's a promise from the Old Testament. Today, God is already a father to us, but he's, he's looking back in retrospect. God says, I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, the next chapter, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 says, therefore, having these promises, what promises? God says, I'll be a father to you because God is my father, all right? Beloved, nice writing to Christians, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you see this now? Now, many people read this like this. You see, Pastor Prince, there are those who teach that uh, in, once you, you are righteous, you can be defiled in your spirit and flesh. It is not saying that. Read carefully. It says, having these promises and having this, having there is present active, participle. In other words, it's not present passive. There's also a present passive, which means having these promises. No. Use the promises to wash yourself. You know, there's only one washing left for Christians today. We are all washed by the blood of Jesus. It's called the buff. Jesus says, he who is bathed does not need except to wash his feet. Find out what that means. I have a whole teaching on that. Once by the blood, every day by the water. So Jesus sanctifies us by the washing of water today. How many understand that? You get defiled with the dust of the world. All right, how refreshing to get under a buff. So even though I say, I, I, I'm going to bathe, I'm going to bathe myself. I'm going to wash myself. How many understand, when I come under the shower, I don't wash myself. The shower washes me. But I, you understand the term when I use, let us cleanse ourselves. You cannot cleanse yourself, but it's God's promises that cleanses you. It is the word of God that cleanses you. So, in other words, I ask God, you know, this holiness that comes by the washing of water of the word. Uh, give me an illustration, because, because I, I know that the righteousness, the gift of righteousness cannot be defiled. How many understand that? Once you are righteous, you cannot be unrighteous. If, listen, you are righteous until your next sin, then what Jesus did for us is lesser than what the first Adam did. The first Adam's sin made us sinners. Even when we do right, we are still sinners. Wow. And Jesus, the gift of righteousness, when we do wrong, we become, wrong. We become sinners. Again, doesn't make sense. And we're talking about Jesus here compared to the first Adam. Are you with me? So I know for a fact, I know the gospel enough to know that once you are righteous, you are righteous forever. Daniel 9 talks about Jesus bringing everlasting righteousness. Cannot be changed. So I ask God, God, what? I need to give a correct um, application here. A lot of people don't quote having these promises. They just say, see, the Bible says, must cleanse ourselves from all fulfillments of the flesh and spirit. I'm making it sound like you can be filthy again. Now, in a sense, we can get contaminated. So I asked God for a picture, and he gave me an inner vision. I saw a gold bar, all right? Because it's best, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. Look up here. That's a gold bar. Is it dirty? Talk to me, people. Is it dirty? Yes, it's a gold bar, all right? It's dirty. It's defiled. But is it still a gold bar? Is it still righteous? <laughs> yes. Is it still gold? Yes. But is it defiled? Yes. But is it still gold? Is the value still there? If you see this gold bar, will you pick it up? Now you wash, you see? Washing of what? Having these promises. 
having these promises, now, you know, once you wash, guess what? It shows what you already are. But when you are, you are being contaminated and all that, okay, it doesn't, sh- doesn't show what you, you don't shine. But you're still valuable, even among dirt. So God gave me this vision. And I thank God that, that uh, I was able to describe to somebody to do this. But this is what I saw. In other words, the, the filthiness is on your flesh, it's on your spirit, but it doesn't change your spirit. The fact that your spirit is righteous. You just have to wash it with the water of the word. Every time you come to church, there's a washing of the water of the word that's going on. Are you listening, people? Two more verses, we're close. Go to Haggai chapter 2. Are you with me, church? Are you learning? All right, now listen. There's compare and contrast. Under law, listen, under law, God says, don't come near unless you are sinless, unless you, are, you, are, you have all together like the high priest once a year. Don't come near lest you die. That phrase in Leviticus appears so often. Lest you die, lest you die, lest you die. And a lot of people have this attitude towards God still. But Jesus changed everything. Amen. Jesus' death, his blood has changed everything. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by a new and living way. You know what it means, new and living way? That means now, the more you come to God, the more you live. It's a new way. It's a living way. In the Old Testament, under law, the more you come, the danger of dying is there because you have sinned. But because of Jesus' perfection of His work, amen, the more you come, now, the more you come, the more you shine. The more you come, the more healthier you become. The more you come, the you, you live. It's a new and living way. Living way. In fact, the more you don't come to the presence of God, it's death out there. So there's been a change. Under law, God remembers your sins to the third and fourth generation. Under grace, God says, your sins are remembered no more. Where are we living? And this is my point. Under law, uncleanness is contagious. Under grace, holiness is contagious. Are you with me? Hmm? I'll close with this verse. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Now, before he shows 1 Corinthians 7, okay, so since they showed Haggai, I'll just tell you what Haggai. The lesson here is that uncleanness under the Old Testament is contagious. You see what the Lord of Heaven asked the, asked the priest? He says, this question about the law, this is about the law. This is what the law does. The law makes uncleanness contagious. Look at this. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it become holy? If something is holy, all right, you take from the sacrifice. If it's holy and it touches your clothes, will you make your clothes holy? In the Old Testament, no. All right, the priest will say no. This is the law. But watch this now. Next verse. Then Haggai asks, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean, by touching a dead person, and then he touches any of those foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. In other words, uncleanness is contagious. Holiness is not. Under law. Then Haggai responded, that's how it is with these people in this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Some people, they're sin, sin, sin conscious. Everything is defiled. Their wife kisses them. They say that, you love me or you lust me? Who cares? It's your wife. 
you know, and, and some of them cannot even get even intimate during a time of prayer. They cannot, they feel like if they are intimate with their wife, all right, it will destroy their anointing. No, my friend, it will destroy your annoying. Your wife will love it because you are annoying. Amen. So this is, uh, let's go to, now, in other words, this is the question God asked about the law. The law makes sin infectious. All right? Grace, now. We know the mind of the Lord. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at this. But to the rest, talking about marriage, to the rest, not the, I, not the Lord. Can you see that? Paul knows the Lord enough to say, I'm going to tell you something, not the Lord tell you, I am telling you. Because he knows the Lord. He says that if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And every religious woman watching me right now need to listen to this. Every religious guy also. All right? They are trying to find an excuse, all right, in the name, all right, of Christ to divorce their unbelieving spouse. Paul says, I'm telling you, I know the Lord enough to, to know this. Okay? This is not God's will. Why? Next verse. Because the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. You know what sanctified or not? Literally the word in Greek, made holy. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified, made holy by the husband who is a believer. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. But now they are holy. What does that tell you? Under grace, holiness is contagious. One spouse is an unbeliever, one spouse is not. Who gets the, the benefit? The, the children. All right? From who? Which is greater? The mother who is a believer or a father who is a believer. Can you see this church? No, 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 please, please. It's not talking about if you're not married. Uh, I'll sanctify my boyfriend. No, sanctify means set apart, means made holy. All right? You know, when people come to your house, you don't bring out your best china ware, you know, your plates and all that. Those expensive ones you put for display. You spend thousands of dollars buying it. And you give us junk. I mean, you just give us... Sometimes you go to your house, you give us paper plates. Paper, fork, and spoon. Why? Because these things are common. The opposite of holiness is not un is sin. It's not sin. It is commonness. Being common. In those days, the word holy means set apart, special, set apart, first class, set apart from economy, common. Do you understand or not? Holiness is a very beautiful word, set apart. People look at you, set apart. You are blessed. Amen. You look young for your age. You are healthy. Amen. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. So if your unbelieving wife or unbelieving husband depart. Let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. Wow. You hardly hear that preach. But God has called us to peace. It's talking about marriage, not a dating situation. Once you're you already in marriage, don't start thinking, he's a child of the devil. He's here. No, no, your attitude stinks. <laughs> and you know what? The blessing of God can still be on your house because of you. And be on your wife because of you. And because the person is set apart, it's easier for the person to be saved. 
Are you with me? Which goes to show, church, under law, uncleanness is contagious. Under grace, holiness is contagious. And all your children are now holy and they are blessed. You are not being shortchanged just because one spouse is an unbeliever. No, 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 not with God, not under grace. Have you been blessed so far? My time is up. All right, praise the Lord. Give him praise. Come on, church. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And y'all know, right? The clothes don't make the man. All right? Doesn't mean if you're a minister means you've got to wear all black. Nowhere in the Bible says they wear all black. Even under law, they wore white. And diamond, sapphire, amethyst, ruby on the chest of the minister. I haven't come to that place yet. All right? So don't judge, don't judge one another by the clothes you wear. But of course, all right, ladies, all right, wear enough. <laughs> Have you been blessed? Every head bowed, every eye closed, all across this place, everywhere that's watching this. Friend, if you are here, listen. If you're a sinner, listen. God loves sinners. Jesus is a friend. Listen, friend of sinners. And the reason Jesus ate among them is because for this reason God sent him. Not to condemn. Jesus says, I did not come to condemn, but that the world through me might be saved. Did you hear that? He didn't come to condemn, but he came to save. But in order for you to be saved, you need to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. Because if you don't acknowledge you're a sinner, then you are not a candidate for his saving. But if you admit, I'm a sinner, I change my mind, I repent. And I turn to you, Lord. Save me. You'll be saved. He'll make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. He will transform you inside out. And He will give you life more abundant. The greatest thing that will happen is that you are born again. Once, you, when you are born of your mother's womb, all of us were born to lose in that fleshly birth. But in this new birth, you are born to win, born to conquer. It's a new birth. I'm not asking you to embrace a religion. I'm challenging you to be born again. A true transformation inside out. And that comes when you receive this gift. This gift is so powerful. It is not your efforts that transform you. Efforts are deadly in the Christian life. Human efforts are deadly. God doesn't want human works, human efforts. God says, let me do it. Let me save you. Let me cleanse you. Let me fill you with my spirit. If that is you, wherever you are, pray this prayer with me right now. Say this from your heart. From your heart. Say this. Heavenly Father, Father God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be a friend of sinners to die for my sins on that cross. His precious blood washes me clean from every sin. Transform me inside out as much as your grace can do it into a person that shines your glory. Father in heaven,
I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. I am safe. I am forgiven. I am blessed. And I am favored by God. The favor of God is on me. Everywhere I go, I am the temple of God. God lives in me. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. Give praise to God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord. This coming week, the grace and the favor of God has gone ahead of you to prepare the way for you. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord bless you with the blessings of Father Abraham and the Lord keep you, preserve you, protect you from every sickness and disease, from all dangers, harm, accidents, from all the powers of darkness and the Lord himself protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you, be favorable towards you. The Lord grant you favor. Everywhere you go, the favor of God attends your way. The Lord lift up his countenance on every family under the sound of my voice and grant to you and your loved ones his shalom, peace, health, and wholeness. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. God bless you, church. Go out there and be a contagious Christian. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to Pastor Joseph Prince, and we trust that you've been blessed. For more information on messages, books, and videos, do visit our website at josephprince.com. Register today and receive a complimentary MP3 message. You'll also receive an exclusive Meditate for Success daily email by Joseph Prince. Be greatly blessed, highly favored, and deeply loved.